Let's get into the Bible. Take out a Bible. If you don't have one, raise your hand and our team will bring one to you. Uh, keep your hand up. I'll also give you the page number on where to turn to. And also um, take out the handout sheet that was given to you when you walked in. I'm totally off balance here. Where's the center of the stage? There we go. All right. We are in part 16 of Revelation and we're handling chapter 9 today. I'm going to have you begin with me in chapter 8, verse 1, for a little bit of a recap here. So if you can go ahead and find that. Revelation is the last book in the Bible. What's really hard and something I definitely recognized was that when I came in on a Saturday to hear Justin after being gone just one week, you miss one week, you miss a lot. Man, I felt lost. I was like, what are we talking about? Right? Horror, destruction, murder, woe. I get that. All right? It was just craziness. But what are we talking about? So let me bring you up to speed a little bit. I entitled today's message, A Heart of Stone. Why? Well, this is a time when we get to see that God's warning and judgment do not lead to repentance. And it's something that we're going to have to consider. But let's recap. Those of you that are brand new to us, here's where we're at. We've been in Revelation now forever. We're going to be in it forever. Okay. Now, John the disciple, Jesus' best friend here on this earth when he was walking around, John the apostle had been exiled, kicked out of his area for teaching Jesus. He's freaked out about the people he left behind. He's worried about all the people he loves, all the other Christians. There's massive persecution coming down from the Roman Empire. And he's sitting out on an island somewhere, full of rocks, doing nothing, scared out of his mind. God comes down and he gives him a series of visions. Those were compiled into a book called Revelation. Those are a series of visions, or what I would say, vignettes. They're almost like, have you ever had a dream where everything just keeps going, and it's just moving out of nowhere, and it keeps changing on you, and you're like, I don't even know what's going on anymore. That's Revelation. It doesn't seem to follow chronological order. It's jumping around. Things are overlapping. It's talking about the same event two different times. It's complicated, so we're trying to make sense of it. But as you look at each one of these visions, it's giving you more and more truth about who Jesus is. What's the point of it? To pull the curtain back and to show you that Jesus is still in charge. That is the revelation that we need to understand. The revelation that Jesus has never given up control. He is absolutely involved with his people. He has absolute love and mercy and grace to extend to us. All that is here. And we're beginning to realize there's an awful lot of encouragement. Well, now we hit chapter 9. Every commentator I read said, I don't want to handle this passage. Why? Because it's freaky, scary, and nobody has a clue what's going on. All right? Well, that's my week. I get to talk about it. All right? So let's, let's talk about where we are in the series of visions. There's three massive groups of visions that we're right in the middle of. There's the opening of seven seals, the, op- the blowing of seven trumpets, and the pouring out of seven bowls of wrath. We already finished the seals. Now we are, Justin gave us the first four trumpets where angels stepped up and blew a trumpet. Trumpets are for warning and for war. And then we're going to hit seven bowls of wrath or seven plagues. Now, here's how I want you to understand them. The seals reveal... When you open up a seal, you learn something new about what's going on. When the trumpets blow, the trumpets warn. It's all going to get ugly. Turn your life around. 
So all these are warning, warning, warning. The bowls of wrath are when God goes, we're closing this up. We're out. All right? We're right in the middle of those seven trumpets. Now, first four trumpets look like this. Hail and fire and blood rains down, burning up all the vegetation. That was the first one. The second one was a blazing rock, almost like a meteorite, hurled into the sea, killing sea life and wrecking havoc. The third one was a star fell and poisoned the water supply. And the fourth was a third of the moon, sun and stars were blackened out. Now, Justin had a chance to talk to you a little bit about that. But then all of a sudden, right after the fourth one, an ego goes by, kind of like a video game, where a little ego just starts flying by. And he says, whoa, 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 things are going to get nasty, right? That was that warning where Justin, in a brilliant fashion, said, do you see the mercy of God extending even to the 11th hour where he keeps reaching down to his children? He keeps reaching down to those that he loves and he created. Well, sure enough, we now hit into the fifth and sixth. We saw the earth get hit. We saw mankind get a little bit touched. Now we're about to see the supernatural and demonic rise up out of the depths. And God begins to unlock gates and lower, leave things out that have just hated mankind for millennia. And they just come raging out and cause devastation. Now, we have to ask the key question that keeps coming up all the way through Revelation. Why is God so angry? Why the anger? Why the wrath? Why the meanness? Why the judgment? The only way for Revelation to make sense, especially at this point, is to try to vividly imagine the horrible things that mankind does to mankind. I was listening to this. They're going through the trial of this young teenager. I don't know if you guys remember the young teenager that was chained and just tortured and then just recently got away. He has a handcuff on him as he's running bloodied and he's for years just tortured by people. Unless you get in your mind the evil that men do, the horrible human trafficking, the, the terrible destruction that goes on, the hurting one another, you don't see why God's so mad. Once you begin to see the pain, and we see it here in Revelation, when underneath the altar of God, the martyrs who have been slaughtered for Jesus, they scream out what? How long, O Lord? Until you avenge our blood. In other words, God, are you going to do anything about it? We're all dying here. Aren't you going to stop it? Don't you care? Aren't you going to get involved? He said, hold on a second. We start seeing him get involved. But when you really see judgment, it'll scare the living daylights out of you. I remember when I was little one time, my sister and I were getting in trouble a little bit, but it was more her fault than my fault. Well, she ended up getting spanked, in, and that very rarely ever happened in our home. She was spanked in her bedroom, and I was in my bedroom, and when I could hear through the wall her getting punished, I began to cry. I couldn't handle what judgment really sounded like. I wanted, you know, a lot of times you get mad at somebody, and you're like, I hope something happened, and then you see what happens, and you get scared. This is what we're about to witness. 
when you actually see judgment carried out, you back up and go, oh my gosh, God is big. God's vengeance is mighty. That's why we can forgive so easily. Because no one can take care of things the way God takes care of things. So sure enough, the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Anger and discipline are dramatic signs of importance. Anger and discipline are dramatic signs of importance. What do I mean? I mean, when someone blows up, they may not be right, but you definitely know it matters to them. When God blows up, it's always right. And it's always accurate. Would you turn with me to Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. It's page 871 if you haven't turned there already. We're just going to read the first five verses and then we'll dive into chapter 9, which we will study today. Chapter 8, verse 1. We've got to remember how this all started because it gives us a context. When he opened the seventh seal, remember I told you those seven seals revealed. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. That's a dramatic pause. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God. To them were given seven trumpets. Another angel who had a golden censer, that's a vial, um, a golden vial that you would scoop up incense and burn it for the scent, came and stood at the altar of God. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints, that's key, on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. That means when the prayers rose up, God breathed them in and did something about it. He heard it symbolically. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from those prayers, from that sacrifice, from that worship. He took fire from the altar and he hurled it to the earth. He threw it down with strength. He hurled it to the earth and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. In other words, this is the response of God. He scoops up all this. He heard all the cries. Don't you care? And he says to the angel, throw it down. Scoops it up and he throws it down with all his might. And now, bam, just hits the earth and things begin to break apart because God will have justice. That's where we pick up chapter nine. Let's take a look. The fifth angel sounded the trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. And when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke locusts came down upon the earth. They were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or any tree, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were given power not to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death, but they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. 
On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold. Their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had the power to torment people for five months. They had as a king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon. The first woe is past, two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour, day, month, and year, were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. The horse and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. And a third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails were like snakes having heads with which they could inflict injury. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons. Idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that can't see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Anybody want to preach this for me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would reveal to us today more about you. That we would love you more, that we would understand you more, that, Lord, that we would understand what it is to be right before you. What it is to have soft hearts, moldable hearts. That, Lord, that we would not be the hard-hearted. May you be glorified in our study today. Speak to us and anoint us in Jesus' name. Amen. Pretty crazy, huh? Let's tear it apart. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. John did not see the star fall. It had already fallen. What is that? The star is about to do something. It is embodied. It's a being. You go, that's weird. Not really. In Jewish literature and in ancient literature, stars were used to describe significant beings, powerful people. For example, you would talk about a king that sat on a throne and talk about him as a star. That's something that actually we're very familiar with, not only in our culture, but in the Bible. Let's do this. If you're really, really good at basketball, what are you called? A star. What are you called if you're super? <laughs> Superstar, right? I mean, it's not any different than what we do right now. For some reason, we always seem to tie into this idea of star. Why? I don't know. It goes back a long way. But when you start talking biblically, you begin to see that it's used a lot. For example, in Job, when it talks about the angels being there to see God's creation, it says the morning star sang for joy. 
angelic and spiritual beings are referred to as stars over and over and over. As a matter of fact, one of the key figures in the Bible was known as Lucifer, or he was also known as the morning star. Jesus, when he was here in his ministry, said, and I saw Lucifer, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven when he did his ministry, meaning I was there at the beginning. I saw him fall. One particular star fell. Is it this one? We have two options, yeah? Because I'm back. (laughs) Two options. This is Satan or this is just a fallen angel. Let me be very clear on something. We tend to think that angels are the semi-androgynous but super buff, good-looking guys. And then we think that demons are the creepy little reptile-like guys, right? Oh, demons are scary and they kind of crawl around. Okay, what are we talking about? Okay, they're fallen angels. They're the same type of being. So whatever angels are, now can they morph and move their body? Yeah, of course they can change in display and how God decides them to be displayed. But they're not a different quality of creature. Demons are no different than angels because they're fallen angels. That's what they are. Well, now all of a sudden we have stars being referred to. That could be a positive angelic being or a demonic angelic being. We now have a star. This star had fallen from the sky. I would suggest that either it's a fallen angel or simply Satan. But what happens? What does it do? Well, the star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. All right. It was given the key by whom? Who has all the control? Jesus. Absolutely. Who's giving this demonic force the access? The only one that holds the keys to death in Hades. That's Jesus. They're in his pocket. Here you go. He hands it to him. Why in the world would Jesus give something to a demon? Because, quite frankly, everything in all of creation, including all demonic, God can use for his bidding however he wants. They've been wanting to devastate mankind since day one. So if you're going to have someone launch out an attack, why wouldn't you merely go, go get them? And let him go. Why? Because it's part of the purpose saying, listen, as the world continues to deny Jesus Christ, as the world says, I don't want a God, then they're going to get something. And here it comes. And it's going to be nasty. He opens the key to the what? The abyss. What's the abyss? Well, we know it as the bottomless pit. That's how it's usually described. Now, as a matter of fact, it's described in detail in an extra biblical book called Enoch. Now, there's the Old Testament, New Testament. In between there was 400 years of silence. Everybody remember that? In that time, books were written, but we don't have them in our Bible. Do you all realize that the Catholic Bible has more books than ours? Okay, it's in there. So it's an apocryphal work. The book of Enoch, it talks about this place. It doesn't have uh, solid ground. It doesn't have solid sky. There's columns of burning fire. There. Now, is all this symbolic? Perhaps. Is it legit? I don't know. But I know that demons are scared to death to go there. What is the abyss? It's a supernatural being holding cell. You're like, a what? It's an angel prison. An angel prison? Well, yeah, we got a temporary angel prison and we got a temporary man prison. You want to know what the temporary man prison is called? Hades. Hell. Not purgatory. Purgatory is different. Why is it temporary? Because the Bible says in the end, hell, false prophet, beast, every, all unbelievers are thrown into the 
lake of fire. That's actually the eternal resting place. All that stuff goes away. So it's not eternal. Hell is not eternal. Lake of fire is eternal. So it's a temporary holding cell. Well, you don't bind supernatural beings in the same exact way. They have their own prison. It's this. How do they feel about it? Well, there's a story in the Bible exactly how they feel about it. You want to read it? Let's do this. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Keep your finger here. Bounce backwards to the left and go to page 732. Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are the four Gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. That's where we got to stop, John. You went too far. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. We have a very familiar story. Why? Because it's one of my favorites and I tell it all the time. Not to my kids before bedtime, though. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Imagine having me as a dad. Holy cow. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Look at this story. They, meaning Jesus and his disciples, sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. So we're in the Middle East. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had neither worn clothes nor lived in a house, but lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. Is that the Jesus you know? Man, what's that guy seeing that we're not seeing? We didn't react to Jesus like that. What's he reacting to? The next sentence explains it. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. The guy's demon possessed, right? Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained, hand and foot, and kept under guard, he broke his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what's your name? He's talking to the demon. Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. A legion is a thousand. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. You want to freak a demon out. Talk about the abyss. That's their prison. They are no longer free to roam. They are in complete torment and they're held and bound until the day they're cast into the lake of fire. This is something they are desperately scared of. So when Jesus walked around in the earth, why do you think the demons freaked out when he walked by? Because he's the big dog. He's God. He comes walking up. Everyone else sees a meek, mild-mannered guy, regular Jewish guy, not necessarily attractive, average-looking guy, comes walking up, and the demons start freaking out. That's the commander of the army of God. I'm not going to mess with that guy. What do you want with me? Why? Why do I got to go to the abyss now? Right? He didn't say they had to go to the abyss. You'll remember in that story, he allows them to go into the pigs. You remember? What's the abyss? It's this holding cell. Now it's going to be opened. Holy moly, look at this. Go back to Revelation. We're in verse 2. When he, meaning this fallen angel, whether it's Lucifer, the morning star, or whether it is merely a fallen angel, when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke of a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened. In other words, it just billows out like there's fire of torment inside. Blacks everything out. This is what John saw. Is this what we're going to see in the end? No, I don't believe so. This is highly symbolic now, but I'm going to explain why. Verse 3, out of the smoke, meaning coming out of this abyss, comes this demonic horde. Now, you're, you can argue with me. Everybody can have your own opinion on what these things are. Nobody knows. 
I'm going to suggest to you, show my cards out early. I believe that these, this is exactly what John saw, but they are a demonic force that is released out of the abyss to go torment mankind. I don't believe they're going to be seen like this. I don't believe they're going to be literal bugs jumping around. I think, seriously, it's going to be an unseen spiritual devastating force that goes out. But here's way they appear to John. It says they were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. It didn't look like a scorpion. It was given power. Why? What does that mean? It means they were deadly, but not lethal. Everybody know what a scorpion is? Little kind of lobster looking thing has the big tail that kind of stings from the top. All right. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any other plant or tree, which is what locusts normally eat. What are they there to do? Only the people. They're there to attack people, but only the people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Remember how I told you we always focus on the mark of the beast. Ooh, it's on the right hand of the forehead. Mark of the beast, mark of the beast. What about the mark of God? Who are the sealed ones? We've already read about them. The 144,000 that were sealed out. Now, I received an email this last week that said, Lance, when you preach or when Justin preaches, you guys seem to always indicate something about the church being during the being here during the tribulation. Don't you understand? There's a, the majority believe that the church will be raptured and gone. You need to give a balanced view. I would agree with you. Absolutely. This is one of those passages that because there is the sealed and this wrath is not for mankind, you start going, the church obviously isn't there except for the marked out ones. There is plenty of evidence that can be argued that the church isn't even here. At this time, you know, they're saying, well, it's stealing away people's joy. Listen, I'm not I'm not here to steal your joy, but I'm here to level with you. I will be dead honest with you. I'm not here to sell anything. Right. I will tell you as I see it. I will teach it as I see it. But you know what? There's a lot of different views of this. What we do know very clearly is that these demonic beings are kept away from those that are children of God. We know that for sure. Because they have the mark of Jesus. All the converts of the 144,000, the Christians, are not involved in this. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any other plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. Okay, why five months? Well, number one, it's limited. Number two, that's the average lifespan of one generation of locusts. Locusts from birth, larva, death, five months. That's all they got. Poor little guys. Can't even go to school. Can't have dreams. I mean, anyway. I've been doing counseling with locusts lately, and I feel bad for them. It says what? And the agony they suffered, meaning those that had been bit or stung, was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. How crazy is that? That's the second time that's been referred to. Remember when they said, may the rocks fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the lamb. Literally, people are trying to die. Why? Because it's freaking them out. It's scary. It's painful. It's tormenting. It's horrible. And who has the key to death? Jesus still has it in his pocket. Oh, look, you can't die. Sorry. Nope, not today. Not today. You ain't going to run away from me. We are going to have this out. I don't care what you're going to try to do. No, you're not. No, we're not doing that. You want to commit suicide? Not going to happen. Not on my watch. Look, it's not working because I run the show. You try to avoid me. You try to say I'm not real. You try to spit in my face. You're going to face me right here, right now. Nobody's escaping. Then it says what? 
What did they look like? The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. And one of our elders laughed and he goes, if they look like horses, call them horses. Don't call them locusts. No, they were dressed like horses are dressed for battle. In other words, if you were in ancient warfare and you were riding a horse, the best way to get a guy off his horse is to stab his horse. Right? Make the horse fall down, then you can go attack him. So they would put armor on horses. They put breastplates on them so they couldn't be knifed. They put leg and guards on them. They put shielding helmets on them so arrows wouldn't hit them because that was their vehicle. In the same way, these locusts that he sees have all these armorings on them, meaning they're impenetrable. You can't stop their advance. Why locusts? Because in the ancient world, especially in the Middle East, locusts means judgment. In the Bible, locusts means judgment. They were so scared of these grasshoppers. Now, in our world, we don't think of them very often. Even though there have been some in Latin America, when they sweep through, do you understand what a locust swarm is like? A locust swarm will cover and darken the sky and be four miles wide. They leave a swath that they eat everything as they move, so everything looks burned behind them. They will devastate and leave famine. 200,000 people died from a locust swarm that hit not that long ago. In the Middle East, they would come and... And you'd hear them just hovering and they'd begin to move. One of the only ways to keep them away is to light fires and they didn't like the smoke. But you can't stop them. You can't shoot them. You can't stop the big invading horde. They just keep moving forward. That's why locusts. You see? They're impenetrable. They're mighty. Their faces resemble human faces, meaning they know exactly what they're doing. These are intelligent, rational, demonic beings. They get it. Their hair was like women's hair. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. That's this idea of this, uh, the antenna and all the hair on the locusts, and it's long, and they're kind of crazy looking, and they got this vicious, cruel teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had as the king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek is Apollyon. Those both mean destroyer. So their king who's leading this charge is the destroyer. Satan, likely. The one who comes to seek, kill, and destroy. The first woe is past, the two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. What's the last thing you heard from the altar? Remember I said it in my intro. Who's under the altar? The martyrs. Martyrs. They're crying out, God, do something about this. Stop letting us be hurt. Stop letting us be tormented. When is our defender going to arrive? Now a voice fires out from the same area. And it's almost like Jesus is speaking on behalf of his children. He's like, you want me to do something? You better believe I'm going to do something. Release the second wave. He cries out. He says what? It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Okay, who are these guys? Holy angels are never bound. You got that? Just because it says angels doesn't mean it's not demons. Because demons are fallen angels. We talked about that. These are four demonic angels bound. They're held in a location. Where? At the great river Euphrates. What's the Euphrates? Where is it located? 
Well, it kind of goes through Iraq and Ethiopia and some of these areas. It is the cradle of civilization. As a matter of fact, if you want to read back into the Garden of Eden, what were the, some of the rivers that flowed out of the Garden of Eden? The Euphrates. This is where all life began. Now we have them at the Euphrates. To the Israelites, that was one of their territories, the river Euphrates. There was an enemy on the other side. To the Romans, the Euphrates River was one of their boundaries of their kingdom where they were most afraid of attack. They were so, everyone was freaked out about the Euphrates. It was this massive boundary. Now we have these angels standing at the Euphrates. Were they the ones bound because they violated their rules back in Genesis? If you want to read about that, is that who it is? These demons are now locked down and they've been waiting for thousands of years to break free. And what happens? Let them go. Take the chains off. They move out and they lead this devastating charge. Check this out. The four angels who were kept ready for this very hour, day, month, and year were released to kill what? A third of mankind. That's extraordinary. How are they going to do it? Look at this demon troop. The number of the mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number, he said. The word actually in Greek is twice myriad times myriad. Myriad is actually an innumerable amount, but it's most likely tied to 10,000. So it's 10,000 times 10,000 twice, which is where we get the 200 million. Now, it's actually an innumerable amount. It means a catastrophic amount. God can count it, but do you understand how many demon hordes are coming out? This is this devastating plague that flies out. I heard their number. The horse and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of their horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind were killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes, meaning they could independently move and operate and having heads with which they could inflict injury. Now, I was always taught growing up that was like an Apache helicopter or something, right? I mean, that was always the every generation has their answer for what these things are. Well, John didn't know modern warfare. And when he says horses, he really means motorcycles. Okay. Uh, well, he doesn't know, so it's all about tanks and this, and then all of a sudden we pass the area where we're fighting with that. Well, then everyone goes, oh, I'll just jump one more. Let's go Star Wars on everybody, right? These are all laser beams that are shooting out of the back of the ships. And Okay, maybe. I doubt it. There's too much context in here that suggests that this is a demonic force moving out and causing death. I do not believe they will be seen like this at all. Am I right? No, I don't know what I'm talking about. Come on. I mean, we're all really guessing on this. I'm just trying to grab the context the best that I can. But I'm telling you, I'm not seeing a lot of evidence to go, well, it's modern warfare. Maybe. I do know that these troops will then try to mount and fire against God. I do know that there's going to be more that we're going to see from these guys. But for right now, notice the riders don't do anything. It's their animals that are doing everything. The whole passage comes down to this last piece, which says what? The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues, meaning two-thirds, still did not repent. 
Doesn't that suggest that all this attack was for the purpose of what? Repentance. They didn't repent of the work of their hands, meaning being completely consumed by what you do. It's called selfishness. They didn't repent of selfishness. They didn't stop worshiping demons. You're like, demons? Nobody worships demons. There's a very small segment that worships demons. It's a very tiny niche. You sure? Let me explain to you what idolatry is. Idolatry is a little idol, and we always look at it, and we go, ooh, you put this little thing in your mantle. Oh, wonderful idol. No. Idolatry is anything above Jesus on your priority list. Y'all clear on that? Anything above him is an idol. One of our biggest idols in this world is money. Why? Because money does what God does. It provides for you, gives you security, gives you escapism, right? It does all the stuff that God's supposed to do. So we really get into money. And we can control it, we think. Do you understand that you're always being controlled by someone? Satan could just move you like a puppet all the way around, right? If you're not tied to God... Even if you're tied to God, he will fire in and try to get something stirred up. But know this, when you are worshiping the almighty dollar, when you're worshiping your own time and selfishness, when you're completely consumed by something other than Jesus, oh, there's a force behind it that's trying to take you down, and it's not healthy. They would not repent. They, didn't, they wouldn't stop worshiping idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that can't see, hear, or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders. Nor did they repent of their magic arts. A lot of commentaries go, that's the word where we get drugs from. Pharmacia. Right? It's drugs, and then people go, no, it's the occult. Back then, they were pretty well tied together. There was the idea of going, I really want to get spiritual, so I'm going to go get loaded kind of thing. I'm going to go get stoned out of my mind so I can see new beings. Yeah, that kind of thing. They did not repent of their sexual immorality. Really? There's a lot of tension about that? Clearly. Nor did they repent of their thefts. All of that is hyper-selfish. You understand? They were so hard-hearted, no matter what God did, it would not lead to repentance. God tried kindness didn't work. God gave them the gospel. Didn't work. God tried torment. Didn't work. God tried fear. Didn't work. So ultimately, where are they going to go? To eternal separation from the king. I cannot tell you how much and how many various ways God will gather people to him. He will use pain and sorrow and misery and woe and death to get you to come home. But if we as Christians don't know that, then our neighbors who do not know Jesus merely suffer with no explanation. We are the salt and light of the world. It's our job to make sense of life. When your neighbor asks you, what the heck is going on? Why do I feel so incredibly empty inside? You better have an answer. Why every time do I go from relationship to relationship to relationship and I feel like my guts are getting ripped out? Do you have anything to share with them? You're the Christian. You're the one that knows God. Why are we not explaining this to them? Why would you dare to leave them 
wallowing in pain with no help. No, we know why. We've seen it. We had it spelled out for us right there in Scripture. Why is this addiction so brutal? Why do I feel so lost? Why do I feel like everything I try makes it worse? Why do I feel like there's a big hole in my head? Well, let me show you. I'll tell you exactly why. Please give them a reason. That's what we do. If any of us are alive at this time and the world starts to blow apart like this, don't you think it's our job to help explain? That's why we're here. We're being trained. You're going to go out six days this week and go start making sense of people's worlds. That's why you're being trained here on Sunday. But now let's make it us. Right, you ready? Last thought. They wouldn't repent because they had a hard heart. No matter what God did, it wouldn't get through to them. Is that us? Is there something God's been trying to get your attention on forever? And you keep squirming out. Did you understand they'd rather die than repent? They said they long for death. I don't want to be with Jesus. I'd rather die. Really? That's pretty hardcore. They will do anything. They'll fight God. They'll die. They'll do anything but give up power. When will we surrender? When will we give up? What we must have is soft hearts. What we must do is learn the art of repentance. Owning up to what we're doing. Not explaining it away. Saying, yes, Lord, I was wrong. I'm way out of line. And the more I think about how I've hurt you, it hurts me. Yes, Lord, I want to change, but I actually don't know how to do that. Would you help me? Do you understand that's the process of repentance? Will our hearts be soft? Jeremy, can you bring the team up? Here's what we're going to do. As we close out, they're going to play a song. It's a new song. You don't need to sing. You're going to sit in a washing machine. We're just going to take time with the Lord. Use this time to pray, kick back, read the words, focus on the Lord, and consider. Lord, is there a place where I'm hard-hearted? We keep looking at all these other people going, man, they're stupid. I can't believe after all that brutal stuff, they still don't surrender. They're just like us. They're no different. We can be just as stubborn, yeah? Right now, consider it. After this song, I'm going to come up and I'm going to close us in prayer. So let's just hang out, spend some time soaking in the Lord.